Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to tell you about today's episode. We are going to be talking to my friend, Mike Staver, and we're going to be talking about how leadership isn't for cowards, covering topics like the real definition of change, what your followers do, like really do when you're not around in these hybrid environments that we're in, the three things that every leader can do to ensure leadership failure. Kind of want to know that one and the importance of high gain activity and how to do more of it. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident, feel empowered, and challenged through inspiring stories, and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Hey there, I am Amber Hurdle, your host, and I would love to welcome you or welcome you back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Today, things are going to be a little bit different, but before we dive into what that's going to look like, I just want to first thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for committing your time to this podcast so that you can invest in yourself and learn and grow. Um, what I would love to ask you to do to help out the show and by helping out the show, I mean, making it more visible to other women who are like you, driven women who are just like you. If you can leave an honest review, leave a rating and honest review on whatever podcast listening app that you listen to, or head over to YouTube, even if you don't typically watch this on YouTube and just click like, that's all you have to do. Click like, and what that will do is it'll just kind of notify Google that this is relevant and it'll make it pop up in other searches so that people uh, who are like you can learn more about uh, the topics at hand. So I want to tell you about today's episode. We are going to be talking to my friend, Mike Staver, and we're going to be talking about how leadership isn't for cowards, covering topics like the real definition of change, what your followers do, like really do when you're not around in these hybrid environments that we're in, the three things that every leader can do to ensure leadership failure kind of want to know that one and the importance of high gain activity and how to do more of it. So I want you to hang in there. What is different about today is this was actually recorded. I would say, I think it was July or around there, July of 2020. Yeah. And so this is going to reference, um, a lot of the COVID kind of things, but oddly I watched it all back because I thought this is just a topic that we really need this courageous, this courageous confidence, this courageous leadership is something we still really need right now. And all the information is still relevant. And Mike just happens to be the chairman of the board for the National Speakers Association. <laughs> so um, I wasn't going to ask him to come back and like re-record some of this for the show when I already had his valuable time before and I can share it with you. So if you hear me mention things like my membership or go into the Facebook group or anything like that, just disregard it. That's, that's not for you. Um, we do have some other opportunities coming up for you to get this kind of value behind the scenes. But for now, I just feel like this is a great episode to share with you in this time. And I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Mike as much as, as I do. I was so happy to get to see him this July or this past July, 2021 in Las Vegas at our national speakers association conference. We got to hang out, um, with our mutual friends in our, um, private suite that we always get and hang out and have fun. So, um, take in what he says. I really encourage you to take notes on this one. It's a little bit longer and, um, I will see you at the next episode. Hey everyone, I am, as usual, very excited to introduce you to this month's expert, Mike Staver. Mike is incredibly impressive. <laughs> um, I think that his intensity and his focus will certainly light a fire underneath you. And the topic that we're going to talk about this month is certainly something that really resonates with me and a part of what I really want people to understand 
um, in, in terms of really showing up in a powerful way. So let me tell you a little bit about Mike. So he is the author of Leadership Isn't for Cowards and is an internationally respected speaker and coach to leaders all across North America. He holds a bachelor's in business administration and a master's in counseling psychology I'm jealous. That's kind of the path I'd like to take. (laughs) Um, Some of Mike's work has been ranked number one by Training Magazine on their list of top training and development programs in the world. Um, And here he is in your membership. So I'm just saying, like, I love smart friends, right? And Mike's leadership lessons have been hard learned over the last 30 years in the trenches of businesses from healthcare to high-end securities and surveillance. Um, I know he's worked with really large companies and small to medium-sized businesses as well. The Mayo Clinic, FedEx, I mean, he's kind of been everywhere. So definitely has seen a lot of different things from a lot of different perspectives. Mike, thank you for joining us at the Velvet Machete Leadership Society so that we can talk about how leadership is not for cowards. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. I I uh, this is the, I know you well, and I know how much you're passionate about leadership. So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good time. The topic couldn't possibly be more timely than right now. And I feel like, especially in the United States of America, um, we have a, a vortex in leadership. And I don't think that leadership as a whole, especially in business, um, I don't think they're quite prepared for a global pandemic, for uh, political unrest, for the Black Lives Matter movement taking front and center stage. I feel like so many people were ill-equipped. So at this point, we have to have a lot of courage. So can you just, can we start there and just give that definition of what courage looks like? in terms of leadership? Yeah, so I, uh, cause you know, nobody in our, in our world would be complete without an acronym. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I uh, came up with an acronym for courage. Who knew what a shock that is. And uh, the acronym for courage is continuing onward under rigorous and grinding experiences. Continuing onward under rigorous and grinding experiences. Uh, I was, um, oh gosh, I guess it's been a few years ago. I was doing a keynote and I did a book signing afterwards. And you remember those, don't you remember when we used to travel and speak? When and we got that? on stages and we could sign books. And airplanes, so crazy. So great. <laughs> um, and I was sitting at this table and contrary to popular opinion, Amber, I don't like being the center of attention, contrary to what we do for a living and what I do for a living. I don't really dig it. So I don't really like sitting at a table signing books. I'm like, what do you need my signature for? But I was doing it. And this guy walks up to the table. He's a young man. He's probably in his mid-20s, early 20s, very striking, probably 6'4", dressed immaculately. And he said to me, "Uh, sir, can I talk to you? And I was like, absolutely. And for some reason, I was immediately like, I got to listen to this guy. I don't know why. Well, it turns out he was a Marine, of course. Mm-hmm. And he said, I really listened to you talk about the definition of courage. And he goes, this whole notion of continuing onward under rigor and grind is really what courage is. He said, here's the thing I would, add, I would encourage you to add to it. And I said, what's that? He goes, in the Marine Corps, we are not taught to be fearless. We are taught to complete the mission despite what we feel. That is what courage is. And I think moving toward where we're headed, doing the things we need to do, regardless of how much we're being battered, is really a critical piece of it. And not being frozen, right? And, and right. not doing anything uh, during this time. Yeah. One of the, well, there's two things I tell my team all the time. And one is we're not saving babies. We're just developing leaders. Like, so take the pressure off. You know? yeah, exactly. And the second thing is feel the fear and do it anyways. Because yeah. if we stopped every time we got scared, we would never get anything done. Like, right. I mean, look at you and I in the speaker, author, coach world these days. Like, if we're not scared of tomorrow, like every day, because there's no certainty in our world, then yeah. we're just clueless. Uh, so exactly healthy fear there. Um, So on that too, um, there's a, there's a word that I like to use when I find somebody like you or somebody that like, you just, you see it and, and you have to earn it, I think. And that's grit. 
and no yeah. personality assessment will measure that. It's really hard for that to come out in an interview without getting like super evasive. So if somebody hasn't had a lot of life experiences where they've had to skin their knees and get back up and brush off and do it all over again, where, where can set a leader, a newer leader, let's say, or mid-level leader start to develop that grit from yeah. their own experiences? Um, I think the first way that they develop it is to, um, I, I, uh, I did the last, if you can imagine, I did, I think it was the very last, it may have been one of the last keynotes in Las Vegas before they closed it down. So I'm largely to blame for Vegas. <laughs> it's all your down. fault, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I got in the car, I said to Laura, I said, if this lasts through the first of, this was March the 12th, if this lasts through April 1st, uh, it won't be any big deal. If it lasts until May 1st, it's going to be a really big deal. If it lasts till June 1st, we're going to start seeing some real kinks in the armor. And God forbid it lasts till July 1st. Well, here we are. And mm -hmm. so um, I have been giving to my clients and sharing with clients everywhere that one of the ways you get tough or get grit is to embrace the suck. You, you have to stop expecting that life's going to be suckless because the minute you start framing expectations around this shouldn't be this hard is the minute your brain's like, uh oh, it's dangerous and we're going to push back from it or we're going to pull away from it. So I think the first step is saying it's difficult and it's supposed to be difficult. So I move into the difficulty with full awareness. That's the yeah. first thing. The mindset thing first. The second thing is that you want to be willing to take risks, what I call between the ditches. And what I mean by that is there are certain, so think of a road and we're riding a bicycle down a road and there are ditches and we can go anywhere on that road we want as long as we don't, you know, drive ourselves into a ditch. And I think leadership's like that. You've got to be willing to to move forward anyway, you've got to be willing to press through the thing that scares you or freaks you out or makes you uncomfortable. Otherwise, you're going to have atrophy. And yeah. leadership atrophy is a very, very dangerous thing because your followers don't want a leader who's like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. I don't know right? And they also don't want a leader that's a know-it-all. And so that kind of paradoxical balance, I think, is important. Those are the two big things. I think be willing to take the risk, embrace the suck. And the ditches represent um, like really dumb things like breaking the law or doing something unethical or, right. you know, not engaging appropriately. But between that, you've got to be willing to move. People that just want to stay in the middle and play it safe will never develop grit. They may be successful. I don't know how, but they won't develop grit. That I don't think you can sustain what is to come in life without the grit. And, you know, and I say this all the time, I wish I could give myself more credit, but I was forced, maybe forced isn't the right word. I had limited options, Mike, when I had a kid at 16 years old in terms yeah. of like, I could have just said, okay, I'm not, I'll let somebody else raise her. So that was an option. But if, if my option was to raise this child and give her opportunities that she would have without being born to a teen mom, then taking a risk between the ditches was my only option. So I can't say like, Oh, I had this strategy and then I learned how right. to succeed. And no, it was just, it was a shit show. It was oh, a shit show. Right. And I found my oar, and I <laughs> just, you know, failed a lot. But in, at the end, if it wasn't for that, like, the love of a human that I was responsible for keeping alive and hopefully having her flourish. I don't know that I would have otherwise been able to get through what I got through in, in that right. season. So I think, well, you know, and the important thing about what you just said, which I, which I really want your listeners to hear is that you made a choice. It, it didn't, like you didn't say I had no choice because you did have a choice. You had a lot of choices, but in your head, you framed it as I'm making a decision. This is the path I'm going to take. I am relatively clueless about how I'm going to get down that path. And I believe that leaders who have resolve or grit and say, that's the direction we're going to go. Let's go are going to be much more followable. Uh, yeah. When they make the decision and when they realize they do have a choice, you know, I just did a, um, uh, 
a video series that I do. And somebody said, Mike, do we always have a choice? I said, we always have a choice. And I said, even if you don't feel like you have a choice, you've got to have that frame in your head all the time. Otherwise, you're a victim or a prisoner. And that, you can't lead from that position. Ooh, I love that. And I'm seeing a little bit of that. Like, well, I have to keep this job because I might not be able to find another job. And so I'm like, okay, well, if you want to build your own prison, then that's where you can live. And exactly right. And, you know, I just remember when Marriott bought Gaylord and I was leading the rebrand of that internally, people were getting nervous. And I said, well, here's the thing. You can go work for a new employer and sleep with the devil you don't know, or you can work with a new employer and sleep with the devil you don't know and have your seniority and have your friends and have your family yeah. and lead through this. Support. Right. I mean, like the choice is yours, but I, li I like that. F the philosophy is you know, you can choose your own prison. So yeah. um, let's talk then in this environment that we're all not having conversations in person and there is a little bit of a, before you leave a meeting and you hope that your team is doing what they need to do to contribute to the big picture and the goals. Now they're competing with educating their children, their own personal issues that come with COVID, not getting to see their family. I mean, there are a lot of distractions, Mike, and we're virtual. So there's no like popping into somebody's office and being like, hey, yeah. you doing okay? Yeah. So as a courageous leader, how do you know what your team's doing when you're not around? And how do you get your mindset to where you can lead through that experience? Yeah. So first thing you do is you accept that there's no way to know what your team's doing when you're not around. That's the first thing. So we start with you. And, and I, again, I'm sure you get this in your practice as well. I probably, the other day I was on the phone with the CEO or on a Zoom with the CEO and he's like, I just don't know if my people are working. And I'm like, that's a structure problem. That's not a people problem. So what a courageous leader, to, I, I use three fundamental uh, steps, right? Um, clarity, accountability, and recognition. So if you have a sense of clarity as to the output, so the, the clarity needs to be from the leader to their followers, here's the output I expect this week. Not all the stuff I expect you to get done, right? So that's the first thing. Clarity as to expectations and output. And game. Accountability, right? Yeah. So is there clear accountability around the things that I expect you to get done. So at the end of the week, um, we've had, we agreed on Monday or we agreed the first of the month, however, whatever time frame they wanna have, here's the output. And then finally, I'm gonna hold you accountable by asking you to give me, and I do basic, I'm not very smart, red light, green light, yellow light, right? At the end of the week, I ask my team, so tell me where you are on the four accomplishments we set out for this week. And I am a big believer that a leader should establish the expectation around what we want people to accomplish, not what we mm -hmm. want people to do. Right. Amen. Do you really care what they're doing if they're accomplishing what they need to accomplish? It just is noise in the leader's head. And then the third thing is recognition. Are we celebrating the accomplishments that our followers are making inside the, inside the world of expectation that we've set up for them? Now, I often see, and you probably see the same thing, I often see leaders who are not clear enough with their expectations, and then that drives their control freakness into what if they're sitting around? What if they're, on, I saw them do a post on Facebook. What if they're watching Days of Our Lives? That's still on? I don't even know if that's on. I don't know. What if, <laughs> I have no idea. But what if, what if they're watching TV? And I always say we're 100% remote in my organization. And I've got a client uh, who is still 100% remote. And he just was a nervous wreck when this started because he was interesting that you talk about karma. Before this start, our last call before COVID really hit was, you know what, our HR departments debating with our some of our uh, VPs about our a remote work policy and whether people should be allowed to work from home. How ironic is that? Yeah, I know. That's great. <laughs> right? And now their whole offices are shut down and everybody's working remote. And, oh, by the way, they're more productive. So, but, the, but I think what we have to do is clarity, accountability, recognition. Am I clear enough? Am I accountable enough? And am I recognizing the wins and not worrying about the misses, which is what a lot of people worry too much about. 
I love that. So for those of you who are using my meeting plan template, whether it's one-on-one or, or, or your team or whatnot, this would be a good thing for you to add into that cadence, into that battle rhythm is, I mean, just to make sure, I mean, we do have, I think we have the clarity and the accountability, but the recognition piece is what's missing. Um, when my son, and I always bring things back to parenting because I can't help it. Sure, I've been a mom since I was 16. But um, when my son routinely does the dishes without me having to ask him to, I mean, the expectation is there. Yeah. If I see that he has to work one night or whatever, I'm like, I'm going to help you out tonight, brother. I got this. But if he's doing it routinely, then I'm, I'm sending him text messages. You've, you've been doing all your chores. You're carrying a workload. Yeah. You're doing well in school. I'm so proud of you, buddy. And then he's like, oh, I got I to gotta keep mom happy. Look how happy mom is. But opposite is true too, right? If he's not doing it, then I'm nagging and I'm fussing and nobody likes that. He doesn't like it. I don't like it. So, Well, and uh, <laughs> this is a little bit of a um, – rough analogy but i uh years ago had a rescue dog i got this dog uh, there's three of them they were in a cul-de-sac there's a terrible thunderstorm and my brother rescued them they were had been in the woods and they're little tiny puppies and uh, so i took uh cheyenne to be trained and uh the professor at the dog school said listen your dog is going to do a lot better if you go crazy with joy when they do the right thing, then if you go crazy with anger when they do the wrong thing. Yes. So if your dog goes outside and pees in the yard, you need to go crazy and give them a treat and hug them and kiss them. And if they pee in the house, just pick them up and take them outside till they pee. And they will learn a lot faster. Now, I'm not saying employees are dogs. Some might be, but most aren't. <laughs> the, the thing we have to get is that we have to flood people this is what I say about accountability all the time. People have to know how to keep score and they have to know how, if they're winning. And if yeah. they know how to keep score and know if they're winning, then your performance reviews will be easy. Right. But if they're not. And I walk in and you give me a bad performance review and I go, wait, I didn't know. That's not the employee's fault. That's my fault. One thousand percent. I could climb up on a soapbox and talk about that for a long, 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 long time. Um, yes. Amazing. So now we've got, we're, we're courageous leaders. We're developing our grit. We have a cadence of embracing the suck, taking risks between the ditches. We're being very clear with our team members, what it is that we need them to do. Um, you have a term high gain activity. So if, if, we're, if we're coasting along here and we really need to amplify our results, what is high gain activity and how do we get not only ourselves, but the people we lead to play in that space? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that question. It's, um, I think one of the problems that we face in the world that we live in today is um, it's, a very, it's very difficult to focus. And the reason it's difficult to focus is because there's so much noise and this noise is contaminating noise. And I say all the time this quote, um, this is a tweetable quote. Okay. Whatever your eyes see and your ears hear is what your brain uses for nourishment. Whatever mm. your eyes see and your ears hear is what your brain uses for nourishment. And that's just not some staverism. I mean, you know, Daniel Amen uh, talks all the time about what do we put into our heads. And so I think the first piece of high gain activity is to become very jealous and very disciplined about what our eyes see and our ears hear. The definition of high gain activity is the activity, not the, not the goal, not the strategy, the specific activity that has the most productive and profitable impact in your area of influence. The activity that has the most productive or profitable impact in your area of influence. Now, people say, well, I have a lot of high gain activities and it changes all the time. Well, I don't think that's true. I think you have a lot of probably secondary activities, a lot of urgent activities, a lot of hectic, panicky activities, but high gain is the one thing. And when I take clients through this, I say, here's, here's all you have to think about. And your listeners can do this right now. 
I, I say, just think of this. If I, gave, if I came to earth, snapped my fingers, gave you the right and the luxury of only doing one activity all day, every day for five days, and you knew that that one thing would have the most profitable and productive impact in your area of influence, what's the one thing you'd choose to do all day, every day? And 100% of the time, people will struggle with it at first. They will come up with some big thing like, if they run a sales organization, they'll say prospecting or whatever. But then I want it even more narrow than that. And then the exercise is once you've identified it, what percentage of time are you spending in the activity currently? Be honest, can't have negative numbers. And then number two, what percentage of the time do you need to be spending in that activity to accomplish your goals? There's a direct, I call it the scarlet thread. There's a scarlet thread between that activity your product, your personal productivity and your efficiency and effectiveness as a leader. And as that number goes up, the percentage of time you spend, the more effective you become. But here's the, here's the trick, Amber, here's the challenge. Because we have a tendency, most people have a tendency to be overachievers, right? We're like, this year I'm gonna run a marathon. No, you're not, you haven't been off the couch in a year. You're not gonna <laughs> run a marathon. I'm gonna quit smoking. No, you're not, Chimney. You're not gonna quit smoking. Why don't you just cut back? So what people do tend to do is they tend to go, well, I'm at 5%, I need to be at 25%, so starting today, I'm gonna to be 25%. I think that's a 500% increase. You're not gonna right. do it. So the law of incrementalism demands that we as leaders say, if I'm at 5% or 12% or 10%, I'm just gonna increase it by 2%, but I'm gonna sustain it and keep track of it and hold myself accountable. And then imagine, what if your direct reports, you did this exercise with your direct reports, and all of them increased the time they spent in their high gain activity by two or 3% per week. What would happen in your department? What would happen for your customers? What would happen in your world as it cascades across your organization? So high gain activity is just that, the, the one activity that if you did it all the time would have the most profitable impact on your area of um, influence. Yeah, and I love that you extended that to the to the teams too because if you're self-aware and then you can see and harvest what you can ultimately get out of your team members starting with that self-awareness and being like, "Oh, if I can do this and everybody else can too." That then gives you permission to start carving off pieces of people's roles that they frankly suck at and start swapping those things around where strengths come into play and then everybody's doing what they're born to do, what they're jiving to do, what they're programmed to do instead of, I mean, I go into like sales organizations sometimes and with no admin support. And I'm like, you've got a big game sales hunter who makes how much annually doing freaking paperwork for how much are you paying him total comp or her total comp for her filling out that form that like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they're usually terrible at filling out the forms and then they have to do them again. And then there's, there's more, there's more time spent doing admin work than there is selling. And this brings, I think us to the next point, which is what a leader will start to realize right away when they start getting committed to high gain activity is those, the, the low gain drag on the organization will become yeah. very obvious. So to your point, exactly, they can start reorganizing work, but you know what else they can do? They can, start look at, they can start looking at where the garbage is, the things that we're doing that don't add one iota to engagement, sales, margin, any of that. And I find all the time when leaders get serious about high gain activity, they identify that, but what they also identify is, wow, what is all this down here that we're you know, policies or meetings or requirements that don't add a single bit of efficiency or effectiveness to the business. Absolutely. 1000%. Um, and I think COVID has helped us a little bit identify those or a lot, depending on what industry you're in to, to cut the fat, you know, in our world and, you know, you probably weren't as affected quite as much as me, but I just felt like God, the universe, whatever, just like shoved everything off my desk and then was like, okay, Amber, you pick up what you want to put back on your desk. Yeah. And yeah. so I stole from Karis Mooney. She's a, a branding person out of uh, England, She's sweetest person. And her continuous cadence is simplify to amplify. Yeah, so and good. so 
that has been, that's been what I've stuck to. Like when I, when it feels like a loss, when it feels like a takeaway, I'm like, nope, we are simplifying to amplify and we're going to focus on these few things and we're going to redo things without all this BS that was cluttering and the drag, as you called it in the air force. um, They call it queep. And, and it's not an acronym. I don't know what, how, where it came from, but it's the, it's the BS activities that get us nowhere that are not mission critical. Yeah. So, and there's so many of them. There's a guy, uh, you should look him up sometime. His name's Brian Solis, I think is his name. Brian Solis, Brian S-O-L-I-S. Solis. Is this the greatest title you've ever, I-, I wish I had come up with it, although I could never do this job. He's a digital anthropologist. Ooh. Is that great? And what he does is he studies the digitization of cultures and society like an anthropologist goes back in time and he looks at the origins, be a great person for your show, goes back in time and he sort of discovers the digital thread and how we're digitizing our culture. And in a recent presentation that I was privileged to listen to him do for some real estate uh, executives, he said, simple, coming out of COVID, simple is going to be one of the primary drivers, simple and quick. Because now we're all saying, wow, I guess I can do without that. Or I guess I don't need all the stuff that you had before your desk was cleared. You know, and he's talk, he's, he's saying that we used to bemoan the fact, well, everyone has to do things fast and everyone has to do things easy. But he said, now it's been, excuse me, deeply ingrained in us that whatever is simple and what are, whether it, what is quick and what is the most efficient is the thing we're going to have to lean on. We'll see if it lasts. I, I would think it would after six months, but. Really- <laughs> yeah. I, I think as much as I hate the terms, I'm so tired. I'm like, please hand the media a thesaurus. I am tired of unprecedented and I'm tired of yes. new normal, but yes. I think we're kind of there at that new normal. I think we're kind of like, well, we don't really know what the future holds. So what new normal is, is to just be expectant of change. That's right. And what Randy Pennington says, which I think is awesome is he says, we need to be prepared for the next normal. Yeah. Um, And that's a really good phrase, isn't it? Because it anticipates, it anticipates that we're moving forward to what Mm -hmm. is next. I love that thought. And I think leaders have to be thinking about that with their followers because now, never before, really. I mean, a good leader always paid attention to it, but now leaders are now having to be sociologists and psychologists and dealing with a lot of issues that they never, ever had to deal. I bet I spend, I bet I spend 80 to 90% of my time dealing with executives right now on the sociological and psychological effects this is having on their followers. It's, it's very dramatic. Yeah, and thank God they have you because that's not, that's not a learned behavior for most people they haven't had to slow down to do that that side of things so you're definitely a gift so we've talked about how to be successful and what that looks like and some strategies behind that what's what is your (laughs) what do you see people do that will like guarantee failure in their leadership roles uh there are three things um and maybe your, maybe your listeners can uh, get out a little piece of paper and write these three things down and take their own little test. Here they are. You ready? Number mm-hmm. one, the need to be right. <laughs> be right. <laughs> number two, the need to be in control. And number three, the need to be all things to all people. So the need to be right, the need to be in control, the need to be all things to all people. Now, we can't be all three, right? <laughs> um, so... The question is, when we look at ourselves and we say, okay, I know in my leadership that I have a tendency to have the need to be what, right? In control or all things to all people. As you know, self-awareness is, uh, is critical and so seldom experienced by people. Um, I had a person the other day I was doing some work with. She's a senior VP of um, ops for a division of a company that interacts with the government. She said, on every performance review I get, uh, I am told that I am not at all self-aware. And what I found fascinating about that was to me, she's very self-aware. So we started exploring this notion of self-awareness and it turns out with me, 
because I'm her coach and everything's confidential, she feels very open to, to disclose her weaknesses and to talk, but she doesn't live in a culture that way. So she's not mm -hmm. as self-aware. So I took her through the exercise I'm taking you through. And I think what we have to do first is say, well, which is it? So for me, for instance, i am got to be all things to all people. That's me. So, you know, somebody calls me on the phone and says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? It's likely going to be a yes, right? Um, not that I have issues with boundaries. I'm not saying I do, but sometimes there's a little boundary issue. So let me, can, we, can I give you the cures for the three real quick? Please, that'd be awesome. Okay. All right. So the first one is the need to be right. If you have, if you suffer from the need to be right, the cure for that is be more curious, ask better questions. Now mm, here's the good. thing, Amber, that we have to get and that your listeners have to get. And that is you got to have curious before the question. There are a lot of people out there and you're in our space who say you need to ask better questions. Mm. No, you need to be more deeply curious, more deeply and profoundly curious, especially if you have the need to be right. And curiosity isn't, I'm just curious how you can be so wrong. That's not, <laughs> that's not the curiosity I'm looking for. So first, a rigorous commit, commitment to curiosity, and then out of curiosity, natural questions come. Because if you just ask a lot of questions, you're just going to be obnoxious. So if you have the need to be right, start really working on curiosity. And the way I do it, even though that's not my go-to uh, failing, the way I do it is everything I'm more curious about. If I don't understand it, I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to critique it. I'm just going to try to understand it. The need to be in control. Now, this is going to make some people bleed from the ears and eyes a little bit, but it, it won't be fatal. Here it is. This, is a, lot of, this is a lot of my members. We've, we've been All honest right. about this. I, All I right, might here be we go. Myself, Mike. <laughs> here it comes. Let it go. Just a little, even if you can only let it go a little, just loosen your grip a little, especially right now. Yeah. I, I mean, think of you, you, you made, you were very clear in the opening of this segment that we have to uh, be aware of everything that's coming at us all the time. And you just can't control it all. No matter, no matter what fantasy we may have, our brain is just incapable of processing all of the noise that we have. So let it go just means, you know what? I'm not going to let it go out of resentment. So I don't want people to go, well, I'll watch this speaker. Boy, I'll let it go and everything. No, right. I'm just going to take my, I'm going to focus. So this is why how you're working through the interview is so smart because we talked about high gain activity, right? If I'm going to focus more on high gain activity, I got to let go of some of the things that I thought were so critical. And then the final one, the need to be all things to all people, the work there is boundaries. Uh, I joked around about boundaries a minute ago, but I will tell you, years ago, I used to do triage in an emergency room. And I did- Little fun did, facts about Mike. There you go. I did psychiatric triage, actually. Um, so I worked, I was a COO of a company by day and I was in grad school. And then at about three o'clock, I would leave the office. Here I had this job, this really beautiful office, uh, a couple hundred employees. And then I would leave and I would go to this hospital because I had to do 120 hours of intern work free. So, <laughs> I mean, and I was just, I mean, I was, you know, I, they didn't make me clean bedpans, but pretty close. And so I go to this, it's a med surge hospital and I, um, that had a psychiatric unit and they assigned me to a psychiatrist and a, a licensed clinical social worker. And we did psychiatric triage in the ER. So when somebody would come in and they would be sick or they would be depressed or psychotic, I'd go in with the doctor and the social worker and we would do psych evals all until midnight every night. It was Fun. fascinating. And it was, at the, it was at the peak of the AIDS crisis and we were in a very intensive environment for that. So most of the people coming into the ER had all kinds of challenges. And I asked the psychiatrist one day this question. I said, when you evaluate mental health, when you evaluate people who are able to sustain trauma and difficulty, what's the first thing you look for? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, boundaries. He didn't even hesitate. He said, the first thing I look for is does the person have clarity between where they start and something else stops? And I've made it much simpler now do we have clarity about our yeses and nos? 
Mm. Are we saying yes to the right things and no to the right things? Are we saying that's where you stop and I start? And people who have a need to be all things to all people have a tendency to have very fluid boundaries. And so if you have rigid boundaries, like, nope, not going to do it, that's rigid. If you have no boundaries, that's not good at all. And so you want boundaries that are just flexible enough that you can say no and yes at the right time to the right things and no to the right time and the right things so that you have more mind space to lead and influence the people um, that look to you every day and ask the same question. Why should I follow you? Why should I get out of bed and follow you? Yeah. And I'll add just another layer to that. It, and I, professional Amber and personal Amber tend to be different. Again, when you're provider and everything, you really have to double down and figure out how to make this earn a living thing work. So I, I yeah. got a lot better at that than yeah. I did in my personal relationships. But um, what I realized, and I try to impress this on my clients, my one-on-one -on -one clients especially, is if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? Yes. You are saying no to somebody. Are yep. you saying no to the person who deserves the no or somebody who's going to get stuck with your no that you really want to say yes to? Gotcha. If I say, yes, I'm going to take on another board appointment, then I'm saying no to time with my family or so girls night or whatever that is. If I say yes to this business opportunity, and then that's going to max out my time. That says no to developing my team or, you know, whatever that is, you're saying no. I love that. And I love it that, that it's two sides of the same coin, right? Because a lot of people think, I just can't say no. And that isn't true. You right? are. Based on what you just said, you are saying no. You might not know what you're saying no to, but you can't say yes to everything and not be saying no to many things. I would rather be in control of my yeses because my issue is control number two. So I'm going to let it go. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah, so, good. I like to, it. Oh. To wrap things up, um, you have six steps that you have that you put into place that will help leaders ensure effective execution. So yes. as, as we wrap this up and people are fired up. They've had their pep rally and their, their marching orders from Mike. What are those six steps so they can go out there and crush it? Here we go. Ready? Yes. Um, first, accept your current circumstances as they actually are. So here's what we know. A fearless inventory of your circumstances is the first step a leader has to take before they can move forward. Otherwise, they move forward with blind spots. So accept your circumstances as they actually are. Number two, take action. We live in a world where people spend too much time getting ready to be ready to almost be ready to get ready. <laughs> we have got to be willing to take action. Remember we talked about reasonable risk between the ditches. You got to start moving down the road and you've got to take action. Don't form another committee or a task force. As a leader, you've got to get moving. T, take the next T, take responsibility. Um, you as a leader are going to create one of two kinds of cultures. You're going to create a blame culture or a responsibility culture. And we live in a world now where blame is much more popular. It's much more fashionable to attack mm -hmm. and blame. But if you really want to be a courageous leader, what you have to understand is that a responsibility culture is a, is a culture committed to repair. A blame culture is a culture committed to punishment. Let yeah. me say that again. Responsibility culture is committed to repair. A blame culture is committed to punishment. So you got to decide, and obviously I'm going to say you got to take, take the responsible path. A, acknowledge progress. We talked about this earlier with being really about recognition. You've got to be the kind of person who is acknowledging the pro progress, especially right now. You see, people um, in different states are in different places, different countries are in different places. But there's a lot coming at people. You talked about earlier, education and taking care of our homes and <clears throat> do Health. I spend time with friends or not? It's crazy, right? Yeah. So we've got to now be committed to incrementalism, which is the little incremental steps necessary to move us forward. It's not going to be big leaps. I was talking to a CEO the other day and he's, she said, I want you to work with us. Uh, I want you to help me with my five-year plan. I'm like, I can't help you with your five-day plan. 
I said, I don't know what you're talking about five years. I mean, come on, let's just start with five weeks, maybe. Um, yeah, and the, and the uh, second to the last one, the fifth one is one that may, well, it wouldn't surprise you because you're this kind of a person, but it would surprise some people. And this is uh, this, commit to intentional gratitude. Mm, yeah. Commit to intentional gratitude. You know, people in our space used to say, didn't we? Well, a grateful heart is better, but, but I don't know about you, but I didn't really know if that was true, but I knew it felt better. Well, now the research is very clear. Just three minutes a day immersed in gratitude has phenomenal effects on your mental health. Uh, in fact, literally biochemical. If I, like every morning during my quiet time and my prep time for the day, my meditation consideration, I sit either in here in, one of the, in my chair or out in uh, the back on the patio, and I just think, I just close my eyes and for three minutes feel grateful. I don't think grateful because that doesn't help. I just allow my heart and spirit to feel it. And here's why. You make better decisions and are more creative when you're more uh, grateful. And then finally, uh, Kindle new relationships. Kindle, I thought it was an Amazon.com reading device, but thank God. <laughs> uh, it's, it is that, but it also means, I love this definition, uh, Amber, you probably like it too. It's to give new life to. Isn't that a great definition, awesome. Kendall, to give new life to? And so what you want to do as a leader, especially now, is every day you want to be coming from this sense of refreshed newness. But you can't do it if you don't accept your circumstances, take action, take responsibility, acknowledge progress, and commit to gratitude. So those are the big six. I love it. And I really want to double down on that Kindle new relationships. The, the second piece of the Velvet Machete leadership journey is about building supportive environments to help you um, sustain and grow within your own personal brand as you're increasingly developing your, your self-awareness. And one of those environments is people environments. And this girl right here knows how important that is. I mean, just right now, look at this. I wouldn't have really smart people to offer to my members if it wasn't for, you know, having this relationship and right. even through COVID, I mean, I just think about, you know, the colleagues that we have been able to stay connected with. And I don't know if 2020 would have been so good between my ears, if not for the connection I have with other yep. people who do what I do and yep. who, you know, can encourage and also lament. And I mean, it's not yep. always a, 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 a festive fun party. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, we need to accept the suck together. Okay, now what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Use your <yeah>. terms. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Mike, before we wrap, the, first of all, this has been awesome. I knew I knew this was going to be great, and I was so excited when you agreed to do this. Um, I always like to to ask, even before we find out, we find more of you. What is your final, like in, in this moment, in the environment we currently are in, and people will probably be watching this for years to come, but in the current environment we're in, what is your parting advice for leaders who want to become super influential and, um, and do it from a place of service? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think you have to have a mindset. And the mindset is this, uh, things are never as bad as they feel and they're never as good as they feel. So I think you need to be able to keep a balance of those two things. So you gotta keep your head right. But the most important thing I tell leaders every single day is you have to be clear about your values and what your core is about and then lead with purpose and authenticity in your values. Yeah. If you get too stuck on the science side of leadership, which is the nuts and bolts, um, you're going to get in trouble. And so I think that being, being aware of your core values, being true to your core values, um, being respectful of others' core values is really important um, because you're the instrument, right? People are following you. They don't follow mission statements. They don't follow companies. They, don't, they follow humans. Yeah. And I say all the time that our job 
as leaders is to be human beings caring about human beings creating human experiences. And I think if we get clear about our values and focus forward, we're going to do much better uh, in the future. That's awesome. Well, we, um, Mike has some resources for you. Um, there's an attack handout and a leadership checklist. Yeah. So we'll have links to those um, in, in this leadership portal um, in the, in the uh, description of this video um, where of course, all of your links to your social media and everything will be easily accessible here too. But if somebody's on their jog or whatever, and they want to find you right now, where can they find more information and book you as a speaker or bring you in to Thank work you. with senior um, leaders? Thank you. Then go to MikeStaver.com. Uh, MikeStaver.com's got all of that. There's actually a link on MikeStaver.com with some free resources, um, which you're welcome to use too uh, as well, uh, Amber, if there's a place. Uh, I did probably eight webinars on various elements of what we're going through um, that are there as well. But MikeStaver.com, you can click on the links and you have all the resources you can possibly imagine. And thank you for having me. It's been so fun. I think, you know, I was thinking today when I was prepping for this, that were it not for COVID, we probably would not have been able to do this. It would never have occurred. So it's awesome. It's really That's, great. I told my daughter, I said, I, I'm getting to have these amazing conversations with the smartest people I know, but otherwise we would have all been on the road and going a million yeah. miles a minute. This all wouldn't right. have happened. So silver linings. All go. right, Mike, thank you. Y'all, I hope that you actually take those action steps that Mike had you write down. If you didn't have a chance because you're on a treadmill or something, those will be in the description. Um, but I do want you to, as you always are encouraged to, when you take time to work on the um, on the deliverables or to watch the video or whatever, always book time to make it functional, make it actionable in your week, book an appointment with yourself. It's that important. I think this is probably um, one of the highest pieces of value that you can get considering the, the environment that you're leading through and really needing to be courageous. So um, Mike, thanks again. And we will see you on the next um, interview. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit amberhurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.